so it's always happened. It's always happened. Um, from the very beginning, it's happened. Men have disliked. Men have hated. Men have ignored. Men have rejected. And men have disobeyed the Word of God. It happened in, oh, that's right, Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve disobeyed the Word of God. You may remember that the Old Testament Jews were guilty as well. Let me just read you a text from Isaiah chapter 30, verses 9 and 10. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words, prophesy illusions. Now, this is still rampant in what is called the modern church. People would rather have a good illusion than have the truth of God. You know, stroke me, tell me a lie, but don't tell me what God says. There's too much tension and pressure there, right? This is why most Bible-believing churches struggle anymore because the vast majority of professing Christians don't want to hear what God says. They don't want to hear it. Well, it was true in the New Testament church as well. You remember what Jesus said. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God. You hold to the tradition of men. Now, we're in, the, we're in a country that holds to the tradition of men. Maybe unlike any other country in the world. Holding to the traditions of men. The traditions of men are superior to the Word of God in many's view. And you remember what the Apostle Paul said, what our day would be like, right? You remember what he said in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, For a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to, what? Myths. This is what the pseudo-church does. I have close people to me who are in false churches. They like that cartoon Jesus, you know? The one who never says anything hard. The one who's never going to judge anybody. The one who doesn't talk about hell. People like to hear from the cartoon Jesus. It's the biblical Jesus they'll have no part of. And of course, that's who we love and exalt in this church. So I want you to stop and think about this. I want you to stop and think about this biblically revealed and historically true fact. Men reject the words of their Creator. Men reject the words of the One who brought them into being. Now, what word would you associate with such an attitude? Does a word come to your mind? As I thought about it, a word immediately came to my mind. This is the height of arrogance, right? That the creature would refuse to hear the Creator. That the creature would say, in effect, I know better. I know better how to live my life. 
I know better. I'll not hear what you have to say, God. And this is what's happening in John chapter 6. They will not hear Christ. Right? They will not hear Him. You know, why did they kill Jesus? Certainly wasn't because of His healings and His miracles. Why did they kill Him? Because of His words. Men hate the Word of God. The Bible tells us it's true. We've seen it historically that it is, in fact, true. So we have this breathtaking pride and arrogance. Man who you know, has two and a half pounds of gray matter is going to disagree and ignore infinite mind. So the word that came to my mind was arrogance. And there's a lot of places I could go to in the Bible, but many of you will be familiar with James chapter 4, verse 6. It says it as powerfully as it can be said. God is opposed to the proud. Right? Does it get any worse than that? <laughs> Does it get any worse than that? God is opposed to you if you ignore His Word. If you think your opinion is more valuable than His, God is opposed to you. Does it get any worse for a human being? God is opposed to those kinds of men and women. God is opposed to you. If you think you know better than infinite mind, if you think you know better than the eternal, omniscient, Omnipresent God. Does it get any worse? Could it be any worse for a human being? That God would be in opposition to me? There's a lot at stake here in John chapter 6. And what I'm going to say to you, there's a lot at stake for you here. Have you decided that the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible, is God's Word and I'm going to bring my life into submission to them? Have you made that decision? Or are you still in entertaining the, the prideful and arrogant thought that maybe I know better than God? You don't ever say those words, but by your actions, that is exactly what you're saying. I ignore God. I reject what God says. I'm not interested in that. Give me the cartoon, Jesus. I don't want the real one. It's rampant in much of the modern church. Arrogance. But what I want to challenge you to tonight, in part, is humility. Right? What does God say about the humble? Listen, Proverbs 11.2, When pride comes, dishonor comes, but with the humble is wisdom. Isaiah 66.2, I give you this verse all the time. But to this one I will look, God says, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Matthew 8.14 He who humbles himself as a child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 1 Peter 5.6 Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time. And I love Psalm 25.9. I read it to you at the beginning of the service. God teaches the humble His way. Will you be teachable? This crowd, this multitude in John 6, they would not hear the words of Christ. They would not hear them. They rejected them. And so I humbly ask you, will you receive the Word of God? Will you receive what God says to you tonight? Will you receive it? The other half of James 4.6 is, God is opposed to the proud, but what? 
He gives grace to the humble. Will you receive the Word of God tonight? Even if it uh, upsets your worldview, even if it is outside your, your present theological context, even if it's brand new to you, the, the, the things that Jesus says, the awesome God-honoring things that Jesus says tonight, as He makes much of His Father, the great saving God, the sovereign God of sovereign grace, Jesus magnifies His Father in John 6. It's one reason many churches don't like John 6 too much, right? They don't like it when God's that big. But may I say to you, I love it when God's this big. <laughs> I love it when God is this big. A big God's our only hope, beloved. So, a true believer is ready to receive the weighty and mysterious things of God, even if I struggle with them, even if I don't fully understand them, even if I can't reconcile it all in my mind. The true believer fights through that. The true believer comes to the text with humility and receives what God says. And this is what I'm asking you to do tonight. Receive the Word of God, whether you like it or not. <laughs> I've been doing this for a long time. People, I've known a lot of people who ultimately walk away from Christianity. They finally read their Bible. They finally realize, I don't like this God at all. Will you be humble? Will you be contrite? Will you be willing to tremble at the Word of God if you need to? But I will not reject it. I will not ignore it. I will not edit God. I will hear God. And if I have to, I'll go to work on it. I'll go to work on what He says. If I don't understand it, I'll go to work on it. It's something that I've challenged many of you to do in the past. It's always been true. It's still true. Men don't like what God says. And that's what happens in John 6.41. That's where we find the Jews here are grumbling about Him because of what? You heard Elijah read the text. They are grumbling because of what He said. Some of you will leave here grumbling because of what He said. I pray that's not true. I pray that's not true. But it's very possible. It is very possible. So by way of review, we're in the middle of John chapter 6. It's that great chapter, man. It's just like explodes off the page, right? So Jesus feeds the 5,000. Really, 15, probably fifteen to 20,000 counting um, women and children. Then He sends His men into the storm and then He goes in after them, which is another breathtaking account of the goodness and faithfulness of Jesus. And then the Jews follow Him. But why do the Jews follow Him? We talked about it before, before holiday. Why do the Jews follow Him uh, and, and seek out Jesus? Why, why do they do it? Anybody remember? Because they ate the bread, right? They, they weren't seeking Jesus because, you know, He was a great prophet or, or because maybe He is Messiah. 
They were seeking Jesus because He gave them free bread. You know, this is a clear rebuke to the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel of our day. Are you following Christ simply for the blessing? Well, He's not interested in that. In fact, in text, He gets angry about this. You follow Me only because you ate. Beloved, do you love Him? Or do you love the blessing? You know, I run into people in my line of work all the time. Right? <laughs> they just want a blessing from God. It's not really about God at all. It's about the blessing, right? I just want to hang out with the pastor. And, you know, he's like a lucky, he's like a, a, a rabbit's foot or a lucky charm. You know, I'm going to stroke the pastor. I'll be nice to the pastor. You know, you're in the wrong place. If you want the blessing more than you want God, you're in the wrong place. This church wants God supremely. Supremely above all else. God is our reward. They didn't follow Him because they believed or loved Him. They followed Him because they wanted to use Him. And this is again epidemic in much of the modern church. And let me just say, this is a great insult to God. That you would seek to use Him that you might get blessing. If you have ever entertained those kinds of thoughts, I would encourage you to repent. For you are indeed insulting the Lord. So why are the Jews grumbling here in verse 41? Let me just read the text to you. I'm going to jump back to verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me shall not hunger, and he who believes in Me shall never thirst. But I say to you, that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. And so the Jews begin to grumble. They say, hey, we know your mom and dad. They're from around here. We watched you grow up. What do you mean you came down from heaven? What are you talking about? So they begin to grumble, right? They begin to grumble. If you read the balance of John 6... Um, Verse 41, they grumbled. Verse 52, they argued. Verse 61, they grumbled. Verse 66, they withdrew from Him. Why? Because of His words. This is what always causes division in the church. It's the Word of God. It's the only right reason for division in the church. There are always those who will find fault with the Word of God and they will leave. There are always those who's going to, they're, they're going to hold on to it no matter what. No matter how many people leave, I'm going to hold on to the Word of God. The Word of God has always caused division. Truth causes division because some people simply reject the truth. 
God teaches the humble His way. This crowd would not be humble. They thought they knew better. That's verse 41 and 42. Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does He now say, I have come down from heaven? Verse 43, Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 37, you heard me read it just a few moments ago. Jesus says this astonishing thing, all that the Father gives Me shall come to Me. Verse 44, Jesus says, no one can come to Me unless the Father draws him. Verse 65, next week, no one can come to Me unless it has been granted him from the Father. These are profound theological truths. It's the very essence of the salvation of your soul. God is sovereign in the salvation of His people. Jesus is clearly talking about the divine side of human salvation. There's a divine side and there's a human side, right? God does what God does and we do what we do. But if we read our Bibles closely, we realize that all that we do is a gift from God. Jesus is going to get the Father so big in this chapter, everybody leaves but 12 guys. And we know one of them is the devil. Or a devil. We know Judas is hanging around for his own selfish reasons. Beloved, the Bible uses words like foreknown and chosen and called and elected and predestined. Jesus uses words like, the Father has given them to Me. The Father has drawn them to Me. The Father has granted them to come to Me. God speaks like this. Why does God speak like this? Because it's the truth. (laughs) It's the truth. Be offended if you want to be. But God's in charge of salvation. You're not. He is. This is... This it permeates all of the, the, the Bible. Many people hate this. Many people will not hear it. But the Bible also uses words like, whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is this a contradiction? Is sovereignty and the responsibility of man a contradiction? No. Does God choose man or does man choose God? What's the answer? Yes. If you read your Bible, if you're a Bible believer, yes. God chooses His people. And His people must choose Him. Yes. It's what the Bible clearly teaches. It's what Jesus is saying here. The Bible says God chooses, God elects, God calls, God draws, God grants, God predestines. Jim, it makes me uncomfortable. It doesn't matter. God says it. It doesn't matter if you're uncomfortable or if I'm uncomfortable or if there's tension in my mind or what I'm calling you to is humility before the Word of God. That's what I'm calling you to. Don't you dare walk out of here in pride and arrogance rejecting what God has clearly said. You know, I know that there's part of the church who, who refutes these doctrines, although 
I'm not sure how you do it with any biblical integrity, but they do it. Yeah, you could probably go down the street and find a church who will not preach these things. But I'm going to say to you, that's a false church. Say, Jim, that's pretty strong. I'm just saying, hey, we don't edit God here. We don't do it. We're, we're, we're just going to tell you what Jesus says, right? <laughs> we're just going to tell you what Jesus says. Philippians 2, 12, 13. You know, it has this beautiful balance here. Responsibility and sovereignty. Paul tells the Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God is at work in His people's lives, and of course, yes, of course, we exercise our will. We must repent and believe, both of which are a gift from God. But we must do it. Of course we exercise our will. But behind our exercise of repentance and belief is the work of God. And you know what you're supposed to do? You're not supposed to argue with God. You're supposed to worship God. I'm just going to challenge you. Will you worship God? That He's a big God. And that your salvation is infinitely more mysterious than you ever knew or understood. I've never understood real Christians who struggle with, with these things. I mean, okay, academically, yes, but I mean... Come on, if God says it, let it be. The Greek is the Greek. Now, you know, you say, well, Jim, you're just playing with words. No, the Greek is the Greek. If you, if, if you have a problem with these words that God uses about saving His people, you go to the Greek. You don't have to be a Greek scholar. Just open you a Greek lexicon. You'll see what the words mean. God is proclaiming His sovereignty and the salvation of His people. Yes, this is a weighty doctrine. Yes, it runs contrary to the modern mind. I simply challenge you to repent and be humble and contrite. Is it okay to struggle with these truths? Of course it's okay to struggle. I've actually told people sitting in this room, take ten years, come back and we'll talk about it. But the thing I warn you about is don't ignore it. Don't edit it. Don't discard it. These people would not hear the words of Jesus. And they all left Him. And let me just say this. If you have questions about predestination and election, if you struggle with these things, uh, and again, these are not my words. These are the words of God. On the podcast site, the first three sermons of First Peter, I go into great detail because the words are there. The Greek words are there. And you can go and you can listen to those sermons and or we can talk personally about it. So the last phrase here in verse 44 is a reiteration of what we saw in verse 37. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I certainly will not cast out. And again, verses 39 and 40, he says, All that God has given me I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. We talked about this before the holiday. Uh, I think in the Gospel of John, Yes, nine times this is mentioned in the Gospel of John that, the, that the, the believer is a gift from the Father to the Son. This is a big deal. <laughs> you know, this is a big deal for the assurance of our salvation. Will Jesus lose a gift from the Father? No. If you are in Christ, you are secure by virtue of the fact there are several theological arguments I could make, but I'll simply say because you are a gift from the Father to the Son. 
It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Verse 45, It is written in the prophets, and they shall, they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. This is another essential biblical truth here. It's one that would cause any thinking man or woman to humbly tremble at the Word of God. There is grave danger for those who are arrogant and flippant before the Lord. There is everlasting peril awaiting those who would trifle with God. You remember, if you know your Gospels, you know, God not only reveals truth, He what? Conceals it. Now, why would God conceal truth? Well, let me just read you the text. Matthew 11, 25-26. Jesus says, I praise You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that You hide these things from the wise and intelligent and reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it is well-pleasing in Your sight. Matthew 13, the disciples had asked Jesus, Why are You teaching in parables? You remember what He said. To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. There's great danger in trifling with the truth of God. If you persist in unbelief and nominalism and playing games with God, you are subject to judicial blinding. It's what the Bible reveals. You guys know John 12, 37-40. to But although Jesus had performed so many signs, they were not believing. For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes. He has hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their hearts and be converted. And I heal them. Can I say this? The most dangerous game to play on this planet is to play at Christianity. is to be cavalier with God, to be flippant with God, to trifle with God, to toy with the things of God. It is God's judicial prerogative to harden hearts and blind eyes. This is a biblical truth. Say, so, Jim, I don't like the way that sounds. It's what God says. I, I'm just telling you what God says. God tells us the truth. But what about those who genuinely seek God? What is the promise of God? I will be found by you. This is the most beautiful promise. Maybe one of the most beautiful promises in the Bible. So today, Hebrews 4.7, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Because if you continue to harden your heart, the day may come when He hardens your heart. We have the example in the Old Testament. Pharaoh, whose heart was hardened. So, those who genuinely seek God, God discloses. You remember when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Peter, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father did. It's a perfect illustration of verse 45. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Right? It's a beautiful illustration of verse 45. Let me read verse 46 to you. Not that any man has seen the Father except the One who is from God. He has seen the Father. This is another unambiguous um, claim to deity by Jesus Christ. We've been talking about it as we've gone through John chapter 6. Jesus did not claim to be a God or one of many gods or some sub-God. He claimed to be the God. He is God or He is a lunatic. And we've been making that point. And you decide. You decide who He is. Verse 47 and 48, Truly, truly, I say to you, for he who believes has eternal life, I am the bread of life. Truly, truly, Jesus is saying, man, this is important. Anytime you see that, those, those, those two words there back to back, this is important. This is a solemn truth. You don't need to miss this. You've got to get this. I say to you, he who believes has eternal life, and I am the bread of life. Jesus says, and I always like to make this qualification, it's not just believing facts. You know, some people, you talk to them about their faith and all they can do is regurgitate facts. <laughs> they, I believe the fact. I believe the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe the fact that He died on the cross. I believe the fact that He raised from the dead. And that's as far as it goes. But we understand from the Bible that it's believing in such a way that leads to repentance. It's repenting which leads to a coming. It's a coming which leads to receiving. It's a receiving which leads to loving and trusting Christ as Savior. It's a loving and trusting that leads to a passionate desire to obey Jesus Christ as Lord and God. That's what it means to believe. He talks about eternal life. and I think we shared this verse uh, the other evening in young adult Bible study, Ephesians 3. What is, what is eternal life? You know, some people just have this concept that it's duration. <laughs> it's not just duration. It's height and breadth and depth, right? It's not just that I'll live forever. That could become somewhat tiresome if you didn't have a God who filled it up. But He does fill it up. Ephesians 3, 17 and 19 that the saints may comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. And here it is, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. This is what heaven is about. This is what eternity is about. That you'll be filled up to all the fullness of God. There'll be 10,000 subordinate pleasures in heaven. More than we could ever quantify or begin to imagine. But Jesus Christ is the foremost pleasure in heaven. We've talked a lot about it. He is our greatest treasure. And He is our greatest pleasure. Verses 49-51 to 51, Your father ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for... Uh, the life of the world is my flesh. 
You may remember before the holiday, earlier in the chapter, we saw the crowd challenge Jesus on the, the whole Exodus thing, right? Moses gave his bread out of heaven for 40 years. Two million people, 40 years. What are you going to do? Can you match that, in effect, was what was being said between the lines. Jesus says, I've got something far more valuable. <laughs> I give you spiritual bread. I give you bread that you can live on forever. It's me. It's my flesh. It's my sacrifice of myself for you. This is how I love you. This is how valuable you are to me. Right? This is way bigger than matter from heaven for 40 years. This is spiritual bread. Forever. Jesus says, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. There it is. We've been talking about the sovereignty of God and the salvation of His people. And here it is, the responsibility of man. Whosoever will come. Come if you want Christ. Come if you want Him. Come. You have an invitation. God says, here I am. Why then will you die? You know, I've heard people say the stupidest thing. Well, I must not be elect. It's like, it's like, you didn't just say that. Jesus says, come. So what do you do as a creature when your Creator says, come? What do you do? Well, if you're a thinking man or woman, what do you do, Horatio? You come. This is what you do. Beloved, don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink the Gospel. Listen, it's deeper. The Gospel is so deep. The grace of God is so deep that after a billion eternities, we will not have penetrated it. Don't overthink it. Repent and believe. Come to Christ. Yeah, we need to study about God's predestination and God's election. Of course we do, because it magnifies God. But if you don't know Christ tonight, what I'm calling you to, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the open invitation to come. <laughs> I'm giving you the open invitation to come. Now, if you want to play mind games with God, well, I don't think I'm predestined. Well, if you want to play mind games with God, I discourage that, but that's your choice. God says, here I am. Here I am. So, the Jews wanted to argue two things about the first century Jews that are hearing Jesus' words. They believed the Messiah would come as a conquering king. They were wrong. And they believed they didn't need a Savior because they were Jews. They were sons of Abraham. I'm saved by my ethnicity. They were wrong. And I want to lovingly say to some of you in here today, tonight are wrong. You have a wrong view of God. You have a wrong view of salvation. And I'm going to say to you, you know how you get past being wrong is submit to the truth. Submit to the Word of God. Submit to it. Your Creator has said it. He said it. What will you do with it? The Jews were wrong and they missed Messiah. They missed their Savior. 
So I want you to see how dangerous it is to be arrogant with God's Word, to lay your own opinions and presuppositions on the text, to stand in judgment over the Word of God. That is something we'll never do at ICM. You know, if I preach this church down to three people, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do this. That's what we're going to do. Right? <laughs> we get down to, if it's me and Karen and one other person, we're going to do this. That's what we're going to do. You know why? Life's too short not to do the Word of God. It's just too short. And I'm going to stand before Him soon, and so are you. We will all give an account. Well, I like the church that was happy all the time. I like the happy church. I like the prosperity gospel church. I like the fact that God's working for me. I like it when the preacher says, God's working for me. I like it when the, the preacher says God's going to make me rich and God's going to make me healthy. And that's the primary concern God has is that I'm rich and I'm healthy. I like that guy. Well, I'm never going to tell you that because God never says that. I'm going to tell you God says, here I am. Come and have all of me that you want. Now, you're never going to get a better offer than that. Ever. You're never going to get a better offer than that. So when I see him, we're going to preach the truth of God. And when He uses words like, you know, the Father gives to the Son and uh, the Father draws His people and the Father grants salvation and He uses words like predestination and election, we're not going to ignore them. We're going to worship. We're going to try to understand them. We're going to work together. And you know what we're not going to do? We're not going to let these kinds of things become uh, uh, a focus of arguments and a focus of grumbling, and a focus of withdrawing. We're not going to do that. We're going to be humble. We're going to love one another. That's what real Christians do with hard things in the Bible. We love one another and we go to work on the mysteries as we humbly submit to the Word of God. Sometimes the Word's hard. Sometimes it's paradoxical. Sometimes it's mysterious. Sometimes it's beyond us. And I always ask people this question. Two questions I ask when they come to me dumbfounded about something in the Scripture. How could it not be so? How could infinite mind communicate with us and there not be some points of tension and difficulty? How could it not be so? And then the second thing I like to ask is, what makes you think you're supposed to understand everything? What makes you think you're supposed to understand everything, right? John Piper is right. God is not principally to be understood, but to be worshipped. God tells us in His Word, Romans 11.33, Oh, the depth and the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. You guys know the famous text, Isaiah 55.8 and 9. My thoughts are not, are not your thoughts, for as high as the heaven are high... Are, are, for as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts and ways higher than yours. Beloved, be humble before God and with His Word. Because if you are arrogant with it, I will say to you, based on what God has said in the Word, He will be opposed to you. You say, Jim, I'm in the middle of struggling with these truths. That's great. Be honest. Be open. Be humble. Pray. Study. Ask the Spirit to teach you. He will teach you. What does He say? <laughs> he gives grace to the humble. He teaches the humble. 
His way. Are you humble? Are you contrite? Are you willing to tremble at His Word? It's what I'm calling you to tonight, beloved. Or will you be like one of the multitude? Will you leave God because you don't like what He says? Will you leave God because you don't like the way He saves His people? Will you leave God because you don't like the way He runs His universe? Will you run to some pseudo-Christ? Or will you stay with the biblical Christ? In John 6, Jesus says, the Father gives the believer to the Son. The Father draws the believer to the Son. The Father grants that the believer may come to the Son. And then He says, anyone who eats the living bread shall live forever. Jesus is clear. God is sovereign in salvation and man is responsible in salvation. Both of these things are true in the Bible. This is the Word of God. I challenge you to be humble with His Word.